We, you know, speaking of volunteers, let's give it up for our sound team, tech team, media team. Seldom, seldom appreciate, appreciate it enough, especially when, you know, some of us make mistakes up here and don't turn our mics on when we're supposed to, and everybody's like, well, sound team must have messed it up. They didn't. They're, they did an amazing job. All right. So uh, if you didn't hear what I said, I said we're finishing up our sermon series on Lost Art of Friendship today, and I've got a couple friends to help me do that. The first one is Malcolm, which is completely unrelated, actually, but he is my friend, and so I'm going to have him come up here. Malcolm, come on up, man. Uh, Malcolm is with CFR, and I'm going to let him uh, tell you a little bit of more about about that. We've been friends for, what, 23 years at this point? No, 24? Long time, yeah. Good to see you, Malcolm. Hey, great to be with you here at Velocity. Thanks, Rob. So just a reminder about a ministry called Christian Financial Resources. There's a brochure in the back of the seats that you can look at later. Uh, Feel free to take that with you. But CFR is a ministry that's been around for 43 years. We're a nonprofit financial ministry that when churches like Velocity or other churches across the country are looking to expand or build buildings and do different types of infrastructure within the buildings that they have, typically CFR can come alongside and partner with them differently than a traditional lender in that we basically work with churches as a nonprofit, help save those churches money. And so we work with churches, again, a unique kind of subset of kind of lending throughout the United States. Um, But from that standpoint, I'll give you one quick story. Um, There's a uh, church called City Church in Griffin, Georgia. And this is a pretty cool story because this church has been meeting in a school for four years, fairly new church. They're really tired of the setup and takedown with chairs and all that stuff living out of a trailer. And so they found a building in Griffin, Georgia after a long hunt. And really as a young church, a lot of banks were not lining up to help them, but CFR saw the potential and really saw the effect for the kingdom in making a loan to them for a building they'd found. It's an old napkin factory. It makes napkins of all things that had shut down. So they bought this huge warehouse space cleaned it out, ready for construction, but they were waiting months and months and months for permitting. And the city wouldn't grant them permitting. They were waiting and waiting and waiting, go through all the bureaucracy. And then if you remember in the news earlier this year, these weird storms hit south of Atlanta around the Griffin, Georgia area, and they produced a lot of tornadoes. And the destruction was incredible throughout a lot of the household areas and residential areas there in Griffin. And so the city was looking for a space they could use for marshalling all the relief materials. And so uh, City Church stepped up and said, well, you can use our space. And the city said, sure, that'd be great. And so the, the church there, Josh Abernathy, the pastor, he, he got together just hundreds of volunteers from the church and over a million pounds of relief materials went through their space to help the local community. And the city was so impressed about City Church that they asked them to train other volunteers throughout the Georgia system of emergency management, which is really cool because City Church became the most popular church in Griffin through all of that. Now, you might look at that and say, why is God delaying all that permitting and all that? But that space was ideal for what was needed at that very moment. And so again, City Church now one of the famous churches in Griffin, Georgia and growing like crazy. That's just one example of CFR partnering with the church to help provide a space. And now they're ongoing with the refurbishment of that space. That's one of many, many stories where CFR is partnering with churches across the country. And we're only able to do that because individuals put money on deposit with CFR. And the reason people put money on deposit with CFR is two reasons. One, they like the rates that we pay, as you'll see within the brochure there. But secondly, 
they love knowing that their money is actually building a church somewhere. And so that's all that we do with the funds. When individuals put money with us, and today we're managing about $850 million, all that money goes out to help churches. And so that's a great way. It's a win-win. You get a good rate of return, but you also know you're helping the kingdom. There's one other item we also offer, which is a CFR giving fund. And it's like a charitable checking account. You can streamline all your giving to Velocity and other ministries there. There's real tax advantages to that. So again, if you're interested in that, I'll be in the lobby afterwards. Be happy to answer any questions you have. Again, always a pleasure to be here at Velocity. Thanks so much. So we've appreciated our partnership with CFR for a long time. Uh, CFR helped Velocity build out the space that we're in in now. So uh, it's always great to have Malcolm come and share uh, just that kingdom expanded mindset um, in a a really powerful way. Thanks, Malcolm. So this is, um, this is kind of a special moment for me because, like I said, we're wrapping up the sermon series called The Lost Art of Friendship, and this is my best friend, Richard. Um, so uh, this, is, uh, this is the guy, like sometimes you guys hear me talk about the San Antonio Spurs, and I know most of you are like, oh, who cares? Um, uh, you know, and, that, and that's fine. Uh, no perfect people allowed. So, um, but, uh, you know, we, we share that in common. Richard and I have known each other for 24 years. Richard, Richard's not from San Antonio, Texas, but he lives there now. Um, and uh, we've been, um, our friendship really started about, what, 19, 19 20 years, years ago. You'll talk about that a, a little bit more. But I'm really excited to have Richard here for a couple of reasons. One, we've been working on this sermon series together. So as I've been preaching over the last three weeks, like Richard and I have been co-writing this. We've been working together on this. And um, the second reason is because Richard and I have been living out the things that we're talking about in the sermon series for the last 20 years. Um, and so we've, we've been putting it into practice. So if there's, I don't, I don't talk about things that I do well, you know, very, very much, because I don't think there's many of those things. Um, but as far as friendship and like some of the fr- close friendships that I have, I, th- I think that's something that I've gotten very fortunate in in my life. And so I really appreciate that. The third reason is uh, we always look for excuses to hang out with each other and figure out this is a really good one. So um, I'm actually, Richard flew out here to preach the sermon with me, and at the end of this month, I'm going to actually go do the same thing. They're starting the sermon series today at their church. Uh, so it's really cool to partner with Castle Hills Christian Church in that uh, as well. So, dude, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm, I'm excited to be here. And like Rob said, we met in college. I think there's a picture of us here. This is us on the soccer team at uh, Roanoke Bible College. Illustrious sports careers we both had. Uh, at what's now called Mid-Atlantic Christian University. Uh, and so that's, that's there. But what's interesting is at this time, we cohabitated a lot of spaces, but we weren't actually friends. Um, in fact, I, I don't know that Rob and I had maybe five or six conversations. We uh, stood together that one time. That we were, we were next to each In fact, when we pulled this picture up, which you can barely even see, we were kind of surprised that we were kind of standing next to each other because we didn't even really know each other that well at this point. It wasn't until a couple years later that we found ourselves in a different spot together that we ended up becoming close friends. Uh, I took a year off from college and then went to grad school up in Ohio and they had a a welcome picnic for the seminary there. And uh, I walked in and all of a sudden I see Rob and Renee and I'm like, oh, I I know these people. And so we just started chatting and, and that sparked Um, something in us. We knew each other. We had this kind of common background together. Uh, But over the next couple of months and years, our friendship really grew from that. We started commuting to school together. Neither of us were living in Cincinnati. Uh, I was driving from Dayton, and he lived 
halfway between there at the time. Yeah, Middletown. Middletown, it was the right. halfway, halfway point. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, an opening at the church I was at came up, and I said, Rob, man, we'd love to have you on staff. And uh, so he came and we He didn't know me all that well. I didn't. That, that it was point. a big mistake. Yeah. And uh, no, it was great. And we were glad to, to bring him on staff. We worked together for a couple of years. We ended up living in the same neighborhood. Uh, we were just a couple blocks from each other. We shared a lot of life in those couple of years. Uh, we were part of a life group together. Um, where we would study the Bible together and do those kind of things and met in my house. And then uh, there was a lot of uh, late night watching of movies on this little teeny TV in my quote unquote man cave. A 19 inch tube, like yeah. imagine, imagine that. Yeah. I have, but we developed a love for film. We realized we both were big Star Wars geeks and uh, watched some old kung fu movies and things like that. And that was kind of fun. We would sit in my backyard and talk late nights or uh, grab a cup of coffee and hang out. And our, our friendship developed. We even spent a couple of Thanksgivings together uh, with our families around the dinner table. And those are some beautiful time fans. So, uh, But what's interesting is to see where our friendship is now and to realize that nowhere along the way do we sit down and have a conversation like, hey, so here's how we make friends and here's how we become better friends, right? This wasn't something that we uh, mapped out for our best friendship to develop, but instead it was just us living out the principles that we believed to be true about being a follower of Jesus and what it looked like to treat each other well. Um, and from that, it sort of naturally developed. So in this series, we've been talking about the fact that we're better together, and we especially see this when we're working together, suffering together, and today we're going to talk about what it looks like to grow together as friends. And Rob and I's friendship, uh, it's been forged through all three of these things. We've worked together quite literally at times. Mm -hmm. uh, we've suffered together in some moments and been there for each other during suffering in each other's lives. We've grown together. And so I think when I, when I think about the biblical definition of friendship that we've been using for this series, friendship is choosing to show someone how valuable they are by sacrificing and caring for them the way Jesus does. Uh, I think our friendship has been built around that concept. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and something like you said that we kind of came at it together, you know, because we believe these things are important about being a disciple of Jesus. So right. it's, it's naturally how we interacted with each other. I mean, now at this point, our friendship... Um, we, we, I mean, we talk weekly. We talk every week, multiple times. Uh, we try to find re reasons to visit one another. For a while there, we were, every time there's a new Star Wars movie that came out, we would take turns flying to each other's city, you know, just to find a reason to, I mean, it re really wasn't about the Star Wars, um, especially because some of those later movies Not great. were really terrible. Um, but it was, it was about us, us, us getting together. Um, and, and the thing that, um, just, just really is so uh, special about that is that um, as our as our friendship has grown, you know, it starts off with that kind of affinity thing. It's like, oh, hey, I, I know you. Like we were in that same place that one time. We didn't really talk much, but now we don't know anybody else. So we'll we'll start talking talking to each other. You know, it starts off with that, and and then you're like, oh, I like Star Wars too, and oh, I like I like kung fu movies too, and um, oh, I like food too. Oh, I like you know hanging out too, and and it starts off with those kinds of things. But then it keeps, it keeps building because of the intentionality that we shared in being a disciple of Jesus. Because we know that um, God has wired us for relationships that are deeper than just surface level. Um, and that if we stay there, we miss out on a considerable 
experience when it comes to how we live out our relationship with God and with, with each other. A lot of people s- skip the step that Richard and I participated in for us to get to where we are now, because now um, we impact each other not just in the things that we have affinity for, but um, Richard uh, and I affect each other when it comes to our families, when it comes to our, our work, our careers, the way that we think about the world, the way that we study scripture together, um, the way that uh, we um, uh, just interact with other friends and, and how we process um, how God has called us to live. Um, we've, uh, like Richard mentioned, we didn't sit down and say, well, let's come up with a 20-step you know, plan over the next, let's have a 25-year plan for a friendship and, and like, accomplish all these things and, and do those things. But it didn't happen by accident either. It's very much uh, intentional for us, to, um, for us to end up where we are now with, with our friendship because of our commitment, not necessarily even to each other, but in how we follow God. Um, there are a couple things. Jenny Allen uh, points this out in her book, Find Your People. She kind of comes up with this friendship funnel. Uh, Richard and I met each other. We said, hey, I know you. We, we had that affinity for, for, for one another. Uh, we exercise biblical friendship, and um, we, we developed community as a, as a result. We had concerted, committed efforts to spend time with one another. And as a result of that, because we're both disciples, because we both bear the image of God. As a result of that, we became close friends. Um, And there's two things that we have noticed uh, a lot uh, over a long period of time in ministry. The first thing is a lot of people are missing what we have um, and and want it desperately. And, And that's not me like projecting on other people. That's the conversations that I have with other people and what they tell me. Um, and, and what they're missing out. How do, how do I do this? Um, the second thing that we've noticed is that many people are skipping that second step and hoping to get lucky on step three. All right, so Jenny Allen in Find Your People has this kind of friendship funnel. It's up on the screen right now. Uh, so we start off with acquaintances. We, we get that. That's easy. You know, we, we kind of run into people as we go. We work with them. We play with them, whatever the thing is, and we have these initial things. Um, and then we really want two to five close friends that we know we can trust in. We can get godly counsel for them. We know that they're going to be there for us um, in the good times, in the bad. Like, we all want that in some, even if we're not willing to admit it. Uh, we, we want that. And we're wired for that in our lives. But the step that we often skip is the middle one. Uh, Jenny Allen calls it the village. I'm not sure how I, 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 uh, I, don't, know how, I don't know how I feel about that term. You know, it's, I don't have a better one, though. So I, I don't, I don't either. So I don't either. That's why we're using Jenny Allen's model here. Uh, but village, a diverse community of consistent, interconnected people. And that's the thing that we don't spend as much time in as we should. Well, why is that? Because we're way too busy. Yeah. I mean, because we, and, and we're not really actually busy. Um, we just, uh, the way that we spend our time, I mean, you can look up this, you can Google this kind of stuff. The average time that people spend on Netflix or on their phones or all these kinds of things where we think life is full of activity and things that are going on, but we're not really accomplishing, accomplishing much because of the things that we're spending our time on. The average time that we used to spend in face-to-face time with friends over the years has, has lessened by about 45 minutes, 40 to 45 minutes, just face-to-face time with real people in real friendship. Um, and it's just because we're not committing ourselves to time with people in face-to-face. Um, Jenny Allen writes, we spend hours alone in our crowded, noisy, screen-lit worlds. We invest only sporadic time with acquaintances, and then we expect close friends to somehow appear in our busy lives. We think our acquaintances should just magically produce two to five BFFs. I don't call Richard my BFF, by the way. Uh, I, I call Rob that. Uh, okay, that's, that's, that's good to know. Um, 
Our, our, our friendship's probably going to change at this point. Um, and, then, and then we believe, and then we believe if we have those two to five BFFs, our relational needs will be met. But here's the problem. Even if we get magically lucky, we skip, skip step two, and we find those two to five close people, um, we still are not going to find fulfillment in those close friendships if we believe it's the other person that is going to be the one to fulfill me. Um, when it comes, and we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, when it comes to friendship and how we approach those things, Richard and I have been able to approach our friendship in a healthy way because we know that we're not looking for one another to fulfill the place that only God can fulfill in our lives. And so it's an outpouring of how God fills us and how he fulfills us and the, the sufficiency with which God completes us in our lives that we are able to share that in relationship together. Um, and this, this solution for how ineffectual we are in approaching our relationships, I mean, it's ancient wisdom. It's, it's found in scripture. It's all throughout, all throughout the Bible. Even though we didn't come up with a 20-step plan, right. it's in scripture. And our anchor text for this, where we find uh, sort of our, our root for this ancient wisdom, comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And I just want to read the text that we've been going through this month in its entirety, uh, verses 7 through 12. Uh, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. Uh, for whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity on the one who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can they keep warm alone? And then today we're going to focus on verse 12, and it says this. Uh, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So what we've seen through this ancient wisdom from the book of Ecclesiastes is that we're better together uh, and that friends, when they develop in a healthy way, in a biblical way, they move from competitors to co-workers and then they move from independent to interdependent. And that is the natural, healthy development of a biblical friendship. And Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12, I'm going to read it from a different translation, the NET, and it says, although an assailant may overpower one person. So think about like an enemy attacking here. Two can withstand him. Moreover, a three-strand cord is not quickly broken. See, I, I think in our, our culture, we have this, these ideas that are built up about what makes someone strong, what makes someone uh, good and, and worthy to be idolized. And a lot of times we have this, this real idolization of this rugged individual, the person who just goes out on their own and does it by themselves, doesn't ask for any help, doesn't look to someone else uh, to be part of their life. And so our culture mistakes independence and self-reliance for strength. And they see cooperation and needing help from others as a form of weakness. But what we really see here in this text is that friendship is not weakness. It's actually the opposite. Friendship is strength. And, and strength for us to um, live the life that God wants us to experience. And uh, there's some, some great examples that we talked about over the last co- a couple weeks in Scripture. The one that I think is kind of the pinnacle example that we haven't talked about yet that we'll, we'll kind of look at a little bit is, is the friendship of David and Jonathan. And, and if, you've, if you're familiar at all with um, 1 Samuel and uh, the story of David and the relationship, the friendship with Jonathan, um, 
you know, kind of like Richard mentioned earlier, uh, he and I have been through and experienced like all the stages of friendship that we have talked about over the last couple weeks. And uh, David and Jonathan have all of these things represented in their lives as well. Uh, they, they just really uh, encapsulate well this idea of um, becoming, becoming co-workers, becoming collaborators, uh, de- being in, interdependent on each other. Um, and so I just want to read the beginning of their relationship in 1 Samuel chapter 18, the beginning of their friendship, just the first five verses of, uh, of chapter 18. As soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, and the imagery, uh, just the, the imagery of this is, uh, is pretty powerful. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan, talking about David, uh, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And so here, here's an incredibly uh, moving, I think, uh, deep example of what it looks like to um, come together, you know, recognize affinity for another person and, and for deep friendship to, to develop and to begin in this moment. Um, I, I just think about how that's, how that's described. Jonathan and David's soul, like, like they knit themselves together because they realized, man, um, not only do we have affinity here, but we, we care about what happens to the other person. There's something deeper and more meaningful in life that we're looking to uh, experience, and we recognize that we can, we can do that together. Uh, so it's, a, it's a, uh, an amazing representation of, uh, I think, what God wants for each and every, every one of us. The interesting thing about this, though, is that the reason that we're kept from this a lot of times is because of that whole, well, I need to be strong on my own, especially for men, right? Uh, we think individualism is the higher strength. Uh, we think that culturally, um, especially in how we uh, live things out, to, out uh, the, these days in, in our culture and uh, socially. And so there's that. There's the individual side of things. There's also the pride and ego side of things. One of the things that, that's really interesting that as you, if you, as you continue to read this chapter, um, starting in verse 6, is that David, you know, Jonathan is very much cares about David's success. He, he wants them to do well, and David starts doing well. I mean, he becomes a, a, essentially a, a general for the nation of Israel, and he goes out. He's incredibly successful against the Philistines, the, the main enemy at the, at the time. And as David would come back from battle, uh, people would celebrate his victories. The problem was is that they would compare his victories to Saul's, who was the king at the time, and they would say, oh, you know, David's killed his... Uh, you know, his 10,000 since Saul, Saul's killed a thousand or so, you know, and Saul is looking at that and he's like, well, that's not good. I don't know if you know this, but historically speaking for a nation, when a general is much more successful and celebrated than the king, typically that causes a a little bit of problems, especially if you consider the fact that um, David has already been anointed the next king of Israel as well at this time. Like this has already happened uh, a few years ago in David's life. And so Jonathan, if you think about his, pers- you know, Saul is like, all right, this is an enemy for the throne. Well, Jonathan is the, is the crown prince. And so David, not only has he already been crowned, uh, anointed as the next king of Israel, which means that Jonathan would have to be dead for that to happen, um, David is the one who's getting all the, all the glory, like his, his best friend. And so you would think that it could be pretty difficult to see somebody else that you're close to. They're the ones getting all the accolades. They're the ones that life is going great for. You know, this is an incredible thing. 
And there are moments in life where you can look at that and, you know, maintaining a throne is a competitive job market, right? And, and, and the, way that we, the way that we often approach those types of things, the things that we're trying to achieve or work, is, is competition. Um, because we're trying to, uh, maybe we somehow subconsciously think survival of the fittest is the best way to, to approach life, right? Those are the things that we're taught and the things that are bandied about. And so the way that we think about us relationally is like, well, I want, I want what this person has. We're constantly called to compare to other people. Uh, we're con- constantly marketed to about why what we already have isn't enough and we want the next thing. And so um, Jonathan and David, though, somehow are able to maintain this focus that regardless of what Saul wants, he probably doesn't want Jonathan to think of David as his friend. Um, they, they're, they're looking for something uh, deeper and more meaningful. And I think that's because, uh, especially David modeled this earlier on in his life a little bit better than later, um, that following God was his chief, uh, chief uh, way in which he found fulfillment in life. You know, Richard and I, he mentioned this earlier, Richard and I have literally worked together in our life. And that went... Uh, that went <laughs> um, went really well for about four years, uh, and and that was amazing. Uh, there were some times where we were kind of uh, one specific time. This is a story for another time, but where we were kind of pitted against each other um, in a very real way, and yet we didn't uh, let the bottom line, we didn't let career, we didn't let um, competition be the way that we moved forward through that. Um, instead. You know, Richard and I have, have been for years working towards something deeper and more meaningful, and that is um, a, a relationship, a friendship that represent, is representative and is modeled after the friendship that God desires with us. Because God, God calls us friends. Jesus in John 15 calls us, like, now I'm calling you friends because we're, we're just in a different place. And that's the type of relationship that God wants us to experience. So we, we're, we're working together maybe not at the same church, but certainly in terms of the gospel and the kingdom and our families and uh, our marriages and all of those things, um, we, we're working to, uh, together to accomplish what God wants to accomplish in our lives. Um, in, in, in the four loves, C.S. Lewis writes, true friendship is the least jealous of loves. Um, and and that, can, that can be one of the biggest reasons why we don't move from competition to cooperation which allows us to work together and what God wants us to experience. Uh, Saul, you know, he looked at David. David was the competition. But Jonathan looked at David as, as the one he could cooperate to experience the type of friendship God wants for us in yeah. this life. And the jealousy with Saul grew so much uh, that as the story continues, we get to a place where Saul is wanting to kill David. And it's this uh, competition for the throne. It's the jealousy over the public accolades. It's all of this has gotten him to a point where he's ready to murder David, his top, top general, is, you know, this top performing uh, military power for him. He's ready to take him out because he sees him as a threat to everything that he holds dear. Uh, and he's not shy about this. And in 1 Samuel chapter 19, he even brings his plan, Saul brings his plan to to kill David to Jonathan, to his best friend. And we read about that. Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and told all his servants that they should kill David. So he just puts out a hit order uh, on David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, my father, Saul, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. I think one of the things we underestimate when we kind of like teach the story to kids or like when we just kind of casually read it 
is the turmoil that Jonathan must have been feeling in this moment, the pressure he must have been feeling. Uh, Like Rob mentioned, here he is, a a person who's threatening his future and his family's future, uh, and he's putting his neck out for him. He's standing up against his father. Uh, If any of you have any uh, experience having conflict with your father, you know how challenging that can be uh, to stand up to your dad and say, no, dad, that's not the way we're going to do things. Uh, That can be difficult. But your dad's probably not the king. Right, um, and kings can be a little capricious. They can just, you know, have people executed whatever they want, and that includes their own children. And so here, Jonathan is standing up to his dad secretly, but he's he's going against his dad's wishes. He's taking his life into his own hand. He's endangering his future and his position, all because. He delights much in David. He and David have this care and this concern for each other uh, that Jonathan and, and David are going to look out for each other when things get difficult, when it's challenging, even when they have to face the king who's one of their fathers. And Jonathan could have let David suffer alone. I mean, there was a, a temptation probably in him to say, you know what, I'm just going to stay neutral in this and let it play out. But instead, he was present with his friend. He went and advised him and warned him and and provided refuge for him. And when things fell apart at the church that Rob and I were working at together, um, there was an opportunity for us to have an every man for himself attitude, right? And just like, uh, we we got to look out for ourselves, right? We got our own families to, to deal with. But when you're in a challenge like that, when you have a a biblical friendship that is built on uh, trust in each other, but also a a deep love for God, and you're not trying to find that fulfillment in each other, but instead you're, you're working out your faith together in relationship, those challenges you face, even if it's competition between the two of you, should bring you closer together, not drive you further apart. I love uh, The Lord of the Rings. Um, I would love to say I'm a fan of the books, but I'm going to hurt the book nerds. Uh, I've never read them. I do love the films, though. Peter Jackson did a great job. And There's uh, a couple scenes in The Lord of the Rings. Uh, in The Fellowship of the Ring, there's a scene between Frodo and Sam um, where Sam is... Uh, is following Frodo, and Frodo tells him to turn back, that he's got to do this on his own. And he says, go back, Sam. I'm going to Mordor alone. He's going to take the ring to Mordor. And I love what Sam says there. He says, of course you are, and I'm coming with you, right? He's not going to let him do this journey on his own. He's got to take this ring to destroy it at Mount Doom. And then when you fast forward to the end of the films, uh, Frodo can't finish the journey. He's, he's on the, the edge, and he, he can't make it anymore. And Sam throws him over his shoulder and he says, I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. And I just love that picture of a friendship that's there in adversity and difficult situations where uh, here they are. Um, they've been together through the, the most difficult situations either of them are ever going to face. And they're there for each other at the very moment that they can't go on anymore. They're carrying each other's burdens, and they're just there present for each other. So Jonathan and David, their relationship had moved. By the time that Saul was threatening to kill David, it had moved from independence to interdependence. And they were collaborators. And as a result, they were able to preserve David's own life that was under threat from the king. Yeah, and uh, th- this, is, this is one of those moments where, you know, it's, hey, I'm okay if things are better for the other person and yeah. worse for me. You know, like, I'm, I'm good with that because I care more about um, this, this person, how, how God views them, and, and I'm already, no, I'm taking care of from God. We, we've talked about how, um, in the past couple of weeks, how, you know, as we talk about that, you could completely ignore everything we're saying, and that, that's fine. I mean, you, biologi- do you biologically need 
deep, close friendships. No, like you could survive with life, uh, survive in life without them, uh, but you do need them in order to be human. Um, the way that God create, created us. That's part of the brokenness of sin is, is that we're not, we're not, we're less than human in the way that God, God created us. Um, it's why the teacher in Ecclesiastes calls life without togetherness or without friendship meaningless. Uh, there are plenty of people who live purpose, purposeless lives separate from real community, but that should be the first thing from our existence as followers of Jesus. Um, it means something very deep and meaningful and purposeful and intimate for God to call us friends. Um, it doesn't happen, though, if we don't follow God's ancient wisdom for relationships. Um, becoming cooperating, interdependent, co-working collaborators within that village, that intentional community beyond acquaintances, that's what moves us to close friends. Um, in fact, I'm going to suggest that what we're talking about is the way that we should think about soulmates. Um, that, that's kind of an interesting charge, charged word because a, a lot of the general mythology of that is, oh, it, you're, you're finding your romantic opposite. You know, so for every man, there's one specific special woman you know, that, that completes you. And for every woman, there's one special perfect man that completes you. Now, um, this is not, like, not participation time. Don't lean over to the person next to you and tell you whether or not you know, that they, they complete you. Um, because it's just not, um, it's just a wrong idea. I don't know a different way to say that. It's just wrong. Uh, and and the, the Bible gives us a wholly different perspective on what those kinds of uh, things look like. Um, only God is the one who completes us. Yeah. He's the only one who can uh, heal our broken souls. However, you think about that, um, the way that Jonathan and David come, come together, um, the affinity for one another that God desires us for, to have, like that, that is a deep soul connection. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that's not based on anything else but the way that God has created us and how he's created us to experience relationships spiritually. Uh, so when we come together, whoever that is with, um, it's not out of desperate need or desire or what we can get out of that person for ourselves. But our intimacy and friendship is based on the sharing of how we've already been fulfilled. Uh, the more than enough we have to share that God's intimacy with us through Jesus, sustained through the Holy Spirit, um, is, is, how, is how that's provided. Um, God designed the church. Kevin, Kevin Burgess writes this in Dangerous Jesus. God designed the church to be the answer to the loneliness in our culture. Um, and I think that's a very significant way for us to think about the type of relationships, the type of family that the church is meant to be, that Jesus died for and rose again for and lives for, uh, for us to be able to experience in our life. Richard is not my only best friend, um, and, and I, I feel very fortunate in that, you know, that, that I, I'm able to call multiple people best friends uh, because of this way of thinking about and, and approaching life. Um, you know, uh, the, the love that I have for Richard is, is different than the love that I have for Renee. Uh, and the love that I have for my other best friends is different than, you know, the love that I share uh, with, with my spouse. Um, but, like, Renee is not, she's not my exclusive soulmate, right? Like, Richard's my soulmate as well. My other friends are my soulmates as well because uh, we're connected um, not by each other but by God. Um, and that's so a, not BFF but soulmate. Yes, you're, you're my soulmate. Um, <clears throat> that sounds, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> There's, uh, in, in 1936 in the Olympics, there were two Japanese pole vaulters that were competing. They're on the same team, they're competing. Um, and uh, both of them uh, 
were, were tying each other on the highest jump that they were able to complete. And uh, especially if you kind of know what's going on in the world globally in 1936, this is kind of interesting. Um, and the Olympic Committee at that time, now you can kind of share medals if, if you want to just stop at, at the tie. Then they said, no, you got to pick who, who won. Uh, one of the guys ended up having less jump attempts, so they gave him the silver medal, and they gave the other guy the, the bronze medal. Um, these these uh, Japanese pole vaulters refused to accept this, and so when they got home, and I've got a picture here for us, that's them on the podium there in second and, and third place. Um, when they got home, this is what they did with their medals, their Olympic medals. You see the picture on the right, they, they cut, they had a jeweler cut their medals in half, and they had them fused together, and they each took, took one. So they refused to accept on any level that one was ahead of the other. They said, no, we accomplished this feat together. We, we hit the same height together. We were teammates together. We we're in this together. And that is more important than determining who, who got there first or who, who, had, who looked prettier doing it through the air, whatever the thing may be. And, and I, when, I, when I see this medal and I want to hear about the story and I read that description in 1 Samuel chapter 18 of Jonathan and David's souls were knit together, um, I, I, think, I, I think, man, what a, what a, a powerful picture of, of what that looks like. It's like, hey, all the, all, the, all the other cultural stuff, all the other, you know, Olympic committee, who cares? You, you know, whatever your rules are, it doesn't matter. God looks at this in a completely different way. And scripture calls us to approach friendship in a completely different way. Um, and uh, that's, that's the way in which we're called to, to come together. We take a covenantal approach to relationship that it models biblical friendship. And this design by God is, is something, uh, something so much greater than what our world, our culture has to offer. Yeah, and when we think about biblical friendship and this ancient wisdom, it's proven itself to be true time and time again. This isn't just like a one-off with David and Jonathan. It's David and Jonathan, and these are uh, political and military rivals in 1600 B.C., uh, and it's possible maybe even their story influenced the writing of Ecclesiastes 4, because uh, this would have been in the backdrop of Solomon's mind, maybe. Uh, but then you, you look at the way Jesus interacted with his closest followers, his disciples. You see how uh, Paul and Silas, these missionaries around 60 AD, we've read the stories of Aquila and Priscilla and how they interacted with Apollos. Uh, and then Rob and I, we, we've seen these principles play out throughout time in different contexts and different situations. And it doesn't matter uh, what's going on in the the world around us, this ancient wisdom of being better together and pursuing it in this way has proved true. So one of the questions you may be asking is like, so where do we start? Like, what do I go home and do today with this information? I would love to have, uh, not a BFF, but a soulmate. Uh, how do I begin to pursue that? Well, we can't skip over the early stuff. We can't skip over uh, the beginnings of that. And it starts by just being curious with the people that you interact with in life, uh, asking questions and, and hearing their stories and, and being open to engaging with others whenever you encounter them. There's a, a book by B Brian Grazer uh, called Face to Face, The Art of Human Connection. And, and this author's had a lot of success in life and much of it has come from the fact uh, that he is just 
able to instantly connect almost with other people. And he sat down and had these curiosity conversations with different interesting people to get their story and their perspective. And, and this is what he says about curiosity conversations. A one-way soul grab never works. I love that. It can't be a one-way relationship. A one-way soul grab never works. It has to be mutually fulfilling. The best curiosity conversations are the ones where both people are engaged, contributing, and learning from each other. We absorb, uh, we're absorbed in each other's eyes, listening, empathizing, and sometimes even reaching a place of vulnerability and trust. Man, those things are so hard to find in our culture. We're so closed off to the idea of being vulnerable and building trust with others. There's a give and take which fosters intimacy. And I believe that when we begin to develop curiosity in our lives and hear other people's stories and connect with them and develop vulnerability in our conversations and our relationships, what we actually begin to do is to see the image of God in other people. We get to see what it is that God has designed them to be and, and how they are a creature who's created in the image of God, deserving of love. We can understand more deeply why it is that the Holy Spirit has brought this person into our lives, what the role and the value of being in conversation and community and, and being in a village with them and then developing a friendship with them over time. We can see how God is moving in those relationships. And I believe that our churches and our communities would be healthier. They'd be a better representation of what it looks like to be God's body here on earth if we were just a little more curious about one another's lives. Instead of assuming that we know what's going on somewhere else, we just ask questions, we listen, we learn stories. Especially because at some point, we're gonna need each other. Like we were designed to be in relationship with people. And you're going to have people who are at all levels of this relationship, people who are acquaintances, people who are part of your village, people who are uh, deeply connected with your life, and you need all of these. So we must put ourselves in a position to connect with people, to develop that village, uh, to find a diverse community, consistent, interconnected people that we can be part of. And it's out of this village that we will develop a small group of soulmates, of close friends. And if we fail to extend biblical friendship to everyone we encounter, what we're really doing is we're robbing ourselves of the opportunity to experience deeply, fully committed friendships. One of the things we say as a church is that everyone's story matters. That's only true if that's true for you. Yeah. Like if you care about somebody else's story. Um, and it's us modeling that for one another. And somebody's got to go first. Yeah. Uh, we happen to both go at the same time, yeah. you know, in, in our, uh, the beginning of our relationship with, the, with one another. Um, simply put, uh, I'm a better disciple of Jesus. I'm a better follower of Jesus. I'm a better man. I'm a better husband, a uh, better father, um, better thinker, better reader, better, uh, I, we can keep going on, um, because of Richard, um, and because of the friendship we share, because of our commitment to who God is and who he's created us to be, and us being willing to share that with each other intentionally, um, our, our personal and spiritual growth that we get to experience as a result of each. You know, it's kind of weird for me to say that he's, he's benefiting from me, but he, he, I, know, I know he is. I, sometimes. It's, <laughs> um, right, yeah, sometimes, yeah. 50-50, right, yeah, okay. Uh, we, we, you know, we have worked together. Um, we've endured suffering together. Um, we, we grow as a result of each other, and we recognize that we're better together. We have this commitment um, that, that God created us to be within community, and ultimately the best part of that community is friendship. 
That's, that's why he calls Abraham his friend. That's why Jesus calls his disciples his friends. Because that, that's, the, that's the pinnacle. Like, that's the, that's the thing that he wants for us, uh, for us the most, that we derive our contentment and joy from God, and we share those things in community um, so that we can enjoy what God has created us for us to be able to experience with him. Biblical friendship is the way we grow to fully experience God's love for us. It is the on earth as it is in heaven expression of the type of relationship God created us to experience. Um, so be curious. Treat other people as if their story matters, because it does. At the very least, it matters to God, even if it doesn't to you in that moment. It, it matters. And that's how we develop the type of relationships with people who believe that our story matters as well. Um, be curious. Participate in intentional, committed groups. Uh, we tend to call those small groups at, at church. Um, and so invite you to be a part of those kinds of things. But you don't have to wait for us to curate those things for you in your life. You can participate in those things. Commitment that we model as a church that we should have as individual disciples of Jesus. Um, be fully satisfied in the closeness we have with God. Um, and be fully satisfied in the closeness with people that um, God knits your soul together with. Um, because, man, that's, that's one of the... That's one of the best pictures we have of what God ultimately desires for us.